Welcome to episode one of the Healing the Divide podcast. I'm so grateful that you made your way here, and my hope is that this conversation serves to deepen and enrich your life in some meaningful way. As this is the first episode of this podcast, I'll take a very brief moment to share its intention. My goal is to explore innovative avenues to heal the divide within us, between us, and amongst us. To this end, I will be speaking with a wide variety of interdisciplinary thought leaders and subject matter experts in the worlds of politics, healing work, spirituality, philosophy, global events, art, culture, and the shared human experience. Both my curiosity and my conviction rest in the belief that if we can glean the greatest gifts, teachings, and tool sets from these respective spaces and take them out of their compartmentalized silos and begin to share them with one another in the realms they've yet to fully inhabit, there lies a potential for a true paradigm shift. So thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And I invite you to episode one of the Healing the Divide podcast. Today, we are sitting down with Arian Wiggins. Arian Wiggins is a gifted space holder, embodiment coach, and yoga teacher whose deepest passion dwells in walking the sacred pilgrimage, I'll call it, um, with human beings on their journey home to themselves. She is uniquely gifted in this space and I am so grateful, Arian, for you being with me today to have this conversation. Arian will be a recurring guest uh, and sometimes maybe co-host um, on this podcast as we uh, just kind of open to the mystery of it all. Uh, so Arian, in addition to all of the wonderful qualities and gifts that she possesses, um, I'm grateful to be sharing this podcast uh, with you today. Uh, for those of you tuning in, Arian is um, my beloved life partner on this journey of life. And, um, and so it means so much on a personal level to be sharing this with you and to have you here for this first ever podcast. Um, and as, as personally impactful as that feels to me, it's not actually the reason, uh, that I called you, uh, here in, 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 in hopes that you would say yes to, to joining me. Um, but really because I, I hold Arian in the highest respect and regard in particular the way of her unique capacity to I don't know if I want to say the word transform, but maybe transmute or reveal the deeper relationship between conflict and connection. And so that's kind of where I want to start the conversation. Um, so welcome to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's an honor. So I, uh, I want to let the conversation kind of flow freely for you and I and for everybody that's going to be listening and joining us. Uh, both now and the future. Um, but I thought I would start off with framing it that I'd like to explore this within three lenses, um, how we can find 
deeper connection within realms of conflict through the various frameworks of within oneself, what we'll call the me to me, um, between one person and one other person, maybe that's in the intimacy of relationship, um, whether that is in coupleship or uh, parent-child or friendship uh, or even uh, at work professionally. So in the one-to-one space, but also in the sort of larger uh, societal context of the one-to-many or the me-to-we space. My hope is that this podcast and this conversation can be a place that I can point future guests and listeners to come back to, to really lay the foundation of how we can explore conflict in skillful ways that can actually bring us closer together. So my first question for you is, what is your perspective on the relationship between conflict and connection? That's such a great question. And what I heard sort of arise up within me first is um, I love conflict. (laughs) Um, I really do. I, and I'm not saying that in any type of like insincere way, like I have genuinely come to love um, when it arises like as the beacon of connection and it's sort of like our spirits way or our fill in the blank, use your own word, but like our spirits way, our wisdom's way, our soul's way of sending up a flare that is calling us into um, a deeper knowing deeper understanding of ourselves and each other and also like a deeper to use your word connection in holding of what is present and feels sort of um maybe turbulent i really appreciate the reorientation is something i'm working with in my own life is when conflict arises to not be in conflict with the conflict. And so inside of what you shared, I heard that conflict is actually a space of opportunity and in a world that's rife with so much of it within all of those various sectors of self that that we spoke to. And it seems like something that that maybe instead of being in such opposition towards we can kind of lean up a little bit closer and i know it's scary for us to explore those spaces but i found in my own life that the more i can examine the space from which conflict is arising within me and get to know it, it becomes less threatening when it's around me so i thought we could dive into that and unpack it a little bit further. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is the source of conflict from, from, from where does it arise? How does it come to be before it shows up, before it sends the flare, where is it sending it out of? For me personally, like, are you like for Arian or in a broader? 
Yeah, I think in a broader, more universal sense first that, that people listening can maybe plug in and, and start to, even if it's cerebralizing for a moment, just making sense of Get their what, finger on the yeah, where does conflict arrive? How can, how can I identify that place? Yeah, I have sort of like two answers. The more my, my more like cerebral intellectual response is, or is arising from our nervous system. And then from maybe a more like somatic, um, a more like somatic heart centered response is that it is arising from a like tender space or um, how I was taught to how I learned um, was if I could imagine like that we all have a bruise. And so when that like tender spot or that bruised um, part of us gets pressed upon from there is what I've seen is when conflict arises. So hmm. from our own hoarding, really. Our own, did you say hoarding or hurting? Hurting, but both. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it kind of works. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I know that there's, you know, we can get into sort of the neuroscience of it all and, and, and how the, the body holds the imprints of past traumatic experience and, the relationship to, that the brain plays within all of that. But I, I almost wanted to back up just a little bit and explore maybe trauma through the lens of, if you could speak to like, is it the event in that is traumatic or the impact uh, of the event upon us? And how do we then start to move from the traumatic experience? It's sitting inside the nervous system. It's sitting inside the body. The brain's wiring itself that way. Um, and then there's like a trigger event. So mm -hmm. what's the relationship between trauma, trigger, and then ultimately healing? Yeah, so... I'm going to go back to your first question. And is it the event or our like response to it or how we hold it? Um, I think both things can be true. I think there are events that in and of themselves are traumatic. Like, um, and then I feel like it is, there is also the piece of how we hold it and how we respond to it. So you and I can move through the same event, like enter in any event and we're going to have different relationship to it. We're going to have a different experience to it. We're going to have a different reaction to it. We're going to have, 
yeah, different um, wiring around it. So we can move through the exact same thing and we're going to have a different relationship to it and holding pattern and all of that. So that's the first part. Yeah. And, and so when, so to, to thread that through, then I want to kind of drive it into some different contexts. So when trigger arises, um, I'm guessing by what you said, you don't find that antithetical to connection, let's say in the space of coupleship. Mm-hmm. So what is the role of coupleship in relationship to trauma healing and navigating triggers? That's a great question. One of my favorites. So I am a huge, I was just talking about this the other day. I am a huge advocate for the co-space. So the container of a relationship, whether it is romantic, intimate, well, I don't know that those are synonymous, whether they are romantic, platonic, familial, um, when there is a relationship container that can hold each person and the relationship and in a way that feels safe and secure for all the, all parties, I feel like in my experience, what I've seen is that that then allows like, so whatever happens, whatever turbulence or conflict that arises between each person, an argument, a disagreement or hurt feelings, a misunderstanding, a, even like to the other, like a betrayal, those in those intimate relationship spaces, they're going to push on our bruises. They're going to push on the tender like parts of us. And then we're going to see like our, our stuff like arise, like how we hold and what we've been holding, whether consciously or unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Where it like lends itself into connection is if and not every relationship space has the container to hold the healing work that that's calling in. So it does call us to be in curiosity and really good discernment. Is there a space here that can hold me and us as I investigate what this trigger is calling like me to bring forth? And when it's a yes, when there is a yes, this container can hold what's here for me. Then we get to reveal parts of ourselves to the other person. Like we're revealing it to ourselves oftentimes for the first time. And then there's this revealing that happens between you and you, me and you. and. There is, first of all, I think that, I think the healing that can happen inside of that is the sheer being witnessed. So oftentimes we've experienced the like original hurting in a very like privatized, hidden, shameful, secretive way. And by its very nature, getting to bring it up and out into a space that can hold 
not only the content and the information, but you as you share it, regardless of what happens, simply in the revealing and the sharing of that and having it be seen in a way that is like kind and compassionate and loving and safe offers so much like salve and balm. That's and then maybe the other Thank person, you. if they have the capacity, if there's a toolbox, a skill set, or a willingness to to grow those things, when the when there's the the possibility for empathy and validation, and even like we call it like a redo, like I'll help you redo this with you. Can we can we give that part of you? a new experience around that. And so that's another opportunity for healing connection, growth, all of it. <laughs> there are so many good layers inside <laughs> of all that you just shared. I, I, I could feel my, my mind just tapping mm -hmm. like you might in, if you were reading a book, you know, and I want to come back to this, 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 and this. Yeah. So thank you so much for sharing what has felt like years of work within just a few moments. Um, mm -hmm. I want to kind of drill down in a couple of spaces in, in there in particular. One thing that I heard really come through was how so much of this journey of, of really reintegration of the parts that have felt exiled off through these life events that have gotten stored somatically, emotionally, etc so much of the capacity for healing seems to rest upon the capacity of the container itself. Yeah. And, and so if I were to put that container into those respective lenses, I would, and, and, and unfortunately it's, it's not always, or maybe beautifully. So it's not a linear sort of sequential process because in, in, in sort of ideal world, if one's me to me container was very solid, very skillful, um, had the capacity um, to, to manage the activation of the respective triggers, then the way it would come up and out of them into the shared dimension of the interpersonal um, would be would really lend itself well to the person on the other end of that being able to um, really draw their tools. It seems like so draw their tools up and present for the moment. Um, it, it feels like in the space of simultaneous trigger, when one person's trigger enters into the space, it the way in which it is shared can trigger the other person's tenderness. And now, there's like a big mess in, in front, a big, beautiful mess. If yeah. we're, if, if, if there's a sense of, you know, being able to sort of zoom out and create a wider container around all of that. But that does seem to be the space where a lot of back and forth of where it becomes the resent and the, the, the defensiveness and the contempt and the, gaslighting and the stonewalling and the, all the, all the things where human beings get all entangled with each other. Um, but this is sort of in real time, all the lenses are playing out. And yeah. 
part of what drives me to create this podcast is I might be watching a podcast interview between two people on, you know, presenting different perspectives within a conflict, say Israel, Palestine, and they might be filled with so much insight and knowledge and experience and wisdom, but they're not skilled in their container. And so they end up going ad hominem. They just start attacking one another. They're talking over one another. They're yelling. And we're not able then to, to see conflict as a means to connection. It just foments more and deeper and conflict and, and perpetuating the cycles and to become more entrenched. So my curiosity is if we were to take the gifts that you're talking about within oneself and within the container of coupleship, and, and bring them into these other domains, what yeah. type of possibility is present for us? And so it does seem to go back to the point that so much of it is about the quality and the skillfulness and, and the compassion of the container itself. And that that's something we're all really learning in real time through the experiences that we're having. I, so I, I wanted to ask you, you know, you, you said that there are times when the, the container might not be available in a skillful way. So as it relates to the broadening or the widening of conflict, when we're talking about geopolitical levels and putting it into those contexts where containers aren't always set, how would you suggest or advise beginning? I don't mean necessarily what I'm about to say. It's like solve the conflict per se, mm -hmm. um, but to talk about the conflict in a skillful way. What are the protocols, if you would, for oh. a conversation to unfold about a deeply charged issue? That feels like a big question. <laughs> <laughs> um, Let's get right down to it. I'm going to lead with, um, this feels important for me to lead with, um, like in this, I'm going to use this word intentionally and hopefully carefully, um, but my own privilege. I have not moved through personally or up close and personal, or um, I have not moved through conflict to that scale as our like world is experiencing right now. So It's really interesting. I remember being in high school and at the time I had a very, um, I had a very like organized, opinionated um, belief system and structure about how the world should work, how I should work, all of the, it was very black and white. Um, very right or wrong, bad and good. And I remember having like watching the world around me and having very strong opinions about that is right. That is wrong. I would never do that in myself 
righteousness of like, I'll ne- not only would I never, but I will never. So I had no idea of, of what that would mean and all the layers and the nuances and what it means to be human. And so I want to start there. What I feel arise within me, like when you and I talk about this, um, and I guess maybe like where I get curious, if it could possibly be helpful is establishing like first and foremost, the container in the connection. So taking the content out and really like coming into, yeah, the connection with other human beings through curiosity, like through the lens of curiosity. Like that was like my number one shift. I remember 20 years ago, my, like one of my very first teachers and therapists offering me this tool of curiosity. And I just like, it broke my brain. I was so black and white, so right or wrong. So like, neat and tidy. And I just remember her saying like, can you be curious? Can you get curious? And I was like, I don't know what that fucking means. I don't know how to do that. I don't know. And I could feel it open up within me so much space that was terrifying. And so I think that can maybe be like, possibly like, other human beings experiences too. It's like what happens when we start to get curious, like for me, a huge part of it was like admitting that I didn't know things, admitting that I wasn't right, admitting that I had been wrong, admitting like so much of my own humanness. And that was really scary and discombobulating. Um, and for me, that was only possible because there was a safe human being there to model that for me. And to, I like the word that you use in the beginning, the pilgrimage. And so I'm curious if that might be a tool that would be helpful in any space is this, our practice of curiosity what is actually happening within another human being? Um, what is their turbulence about? What is being pushed on? What is like, what's, what is actually really happening? Um, and if there's not the container, because it is so like, tender and like rife, like maybe, and I'm going to use this like metaphor or analogy, however this goes, um, like, can there be like a mom and dad present? Can there be, um, the adult in the room to say like, we're going to try talking about this in a different way, like to call in the third party that has, the nervous system regulation, 
that they can, we can all like co-regulate too to have difficult conversations. I think that's really important. So that was sort of like a hodgepodge of an answer. And I went the long way around the mulberry bush, but that's, yeah. Well, no, I, I really do appreciate the comprehensiveness and the nuance <laughs> inside of it. Again, lots of layers to unpack in there. And what I heard inside of it is that it's not just about the what, but it's about the how. And then if we could shift the how, we could actually shift the what. And as we're, we get our heels dug in and we get so entrenched in the point that we miss the person that's having the experience beneath and behind what's being shared, then there's like this reinvestment and you didn't hear me. So I'm going to get louder. You're disagreeing with my experience. I'm interpreting it as invalidation of my experience. So I really hear inside of that, the need for deep listening. That curiosity is beginning with a humility of, I don't know. I don't know. I may have my perspectives, opinions. Have I conflated opinion with fact? How has my own life experience subjectively skewed the way I am interpreting an event? And that, to some degree, is ubiquitous because all of us are seeing through the lens through which we're seeing, which is largely shaped and colored by those bruises that we're actually seeing the world through our stresses, our traumas, our, our post-traumatic stresses, and, and also our health and our wisdom and our clarity. And, mm-hmm. and so real time, like day-to-day life, like, yeah, in, in real time, can we be present enough? I, I just finished writing a little piece called, um, in curiosity and presence and, that's really what it's about in so many ways, because that becomes the soil that we can then plant the seed of the conversation of that can hold conflict in a skillful way. So we can begin to explore what's inside of it and see it as a flare. So instead of responding yeah. to the conflict in a confrontational adversarial sort of disposition, we can kind of almost step back, depersonalize it and say, Hey, I can see that there's some really big emotion in this space for you. Can you share more? And then the person, ah, their nervous system goes, okay, I can be heard here. I can, I'm being seen. This person's not here to fight with me. They're here to get curious about my experience. And then in so doing, we actually begin to cultivate the medicine for the experience itself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> I, yes, I'm also like a huge advocate for a framework for listening, like to your point of the deep listening, like, and that can be different for everybody. Like there's going to be different frameworks that people connect with. Like you and I use Imago and connect with Imago and love Imago. Um, And I say this probably ad nauseum too. It's like, I can, I personally like Arian, there's no content that's off limits. Like I can talk about any content 
And it's because I feel safe within, like, I feel that I have the, the tools in my toolbox that can support me in being a good listener. So like enter in anything, like I'll talk about anything. And it's because I feel safe and secure in the the tools that I have thus far. Um, so whatever that is for people, whatever, you know, that could be something different for everyone. But yeah, the deep listening happens, happens I think. Yeah, let's get into that. That's actually on my talking points to get into is actually the next piece. Uh, so perfect timing. Um, so at, at the time of this recording, I'm about halfway through a inner work meets geopolitics container called Let's Talk About It. And mm. the first session was devoted exclusively um, to pe people coming in from different parts of the country virtually into a shared container. And so the first part of it was creating a safe container, the whole first session. And we learned Imago and we shared Google doc that actually breaks down the different steps of having a conscious dialogue framework. And then each week we explore different things like the 2024 election or the Israel-Palestine conflict or the military industrial complex. Um, we move into all of these different spheres of politics and religion. And one of the things that I really took away first and foremost was the, the challenge and having people from diverse worldviews come together to dialogue across those differences in a skillful way was half the people were just in trepidation to talk about it, that I don't want to be attacked. I don't know enough about it. Um, my, you know, it, 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 my nervous system doesn't feel safe. Um, so I think this would be such a gift in this conversation to just share some of those really substantive tools. So to get a little bit more microscopic, um, what are the parameters for having the conversation that is so often difficult for us to have? Mm. Like the philosophy of Imago or? Sure. Yeah. Let's start from philosophy and then move into some actual, like, I'm not going to talk over you. Yeah. Right? Like actual steps. Yeah, that's part. Okay. So I'm going to actually back up even one further step. Like I feel like the first and foremost place that we start in entering into a conversation of any type is consent. Are you available? And it allows the other person their like own autonomy and their own um, sense of agency of like, let me just check in with myself. Like, where am I? Am I available for a conversation or am I not? And I love that so much for both people. Because then it lets me know, like, if I'm asking you, if I come to you and say, hey, are you available to have a conversation about our relationship? You get to say yes or no. And that when you say yes, then I know that you are coming with like your full presence. 
Yes, it gives me an opportunity to enroll the parts of myself and make them feel safe that might come in with difficulty in service of you, me, and us. Yeah, right. So that's probably like my number one is consent, like consent to the conversation. And then this is going to be a little bit, you know, different and um, subjective for each person. Like, I don't necessarily need to know the content. If somebody says to me, hey, are you available to have a conversation? Sure. Or no, I'm not. Um, Other people are going to want to know like, hey, can, are you available to have this conversation about work, about Mm -hmm. our relationship, about a family situation? So I think learning that about another person is important. Um, So I like to start there and then moving into Imago, like that for me was the framework, the, the like coupleship dialogue that was a game changer for me. Hmm. Um, And it can be like for any relationship, like any, anywhere. And I use it probably like 97% of my communication arises from that understanding whether the other person like knows it or not. It is a guidance like it guides me in how I share and in how I like receive. So first and foremost, consent and not conflating accessibility with availability and giving the person an opportunity to call in the parts of themselves that are uh, willing and capable and, and also to honor their agency to say, maybe I'm not ready yet, um, but here's when. And, and so then leaning into that with curiosity. And, and I, I love how you talk about when, you know, th- there's really the roles of the, 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 the sender or the one who's sharing and, and, yeah. and the receiver, the listener who's hearing and taking in. And, um, and as we're discussing sort of these broader geopolitical conflicts and how to speak about them and, and having not lived in those spaces before, um, you talk about traveling into another's country with only your passport. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like what a great metaphor that is apropos to this. It it works so well in that space. I I think you spoke to that a little bit, but I wanted to just land it here in the sense of bringing your curiosity um, and and sort of leaving your version aside for a moment to hear the other persons. And that seems to be where we get a little trapped. So I wanted to layer in a piece that's connected, but maybe correlative, um, yeah, if not causal, which is, yeah, the space of when I'm listening, something arises that pushes on either it could be the bruise or it could be uh, a conviction that is opposite or different in some way. And then this sort of impulse emerges from within the person that's instead of listening with only their passport, they've brought everything and they go, no, you're wrong. And that's not it. And God, you don't understand. And, and so even, even when there is 
deep disagreement you have shared with me, and I love this so much, and I'm so grateful for it, that that does not deprive the relationship and the conversation from the gift of validation, that validation does not require agreement. So can you talk about how one can hold the simultaneousness of validation and disagreement. Yeah. Thank you for this question. Cause it, that feels big and juicy and it can feel like a doozy, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? Cause at first glance, it's like, well, no, I'm not going to validate your experience because I don't agree with you. And if I agree with you, then I'm all the things show up for us inside of that. And not to sound like a broken record or redundant, but this is like I one of the things that I love so much about Imago and what it offers. So one of the like pillars or like philosophies of Imago is that everyone, their experience, whether that's like your thoughts, feelings, emotions, like it's all valid no matter what. And that does not mean that like I either need to agree with you or disagree. I don't need to do like, I'm, I'm not here. Like that does as the role of the receiver, as the listener, that's not part of like what's being called forth from me is to either give you my agreement or my disagreement Mm -hmm. So when I hear you talk about the traveling with the passport, like it's a really beautiful analogy and, or metaphor, um, and also practice because there's an acknowledge for me, how I receive it. Like there's an acknowledgement inside of that. Like we all have our stuff. I'm coming into a conversation with you or whomever with all of my own stuff. I have all my tender places and spaces. I have my bruises. I have my thoughts, my feelings. I have my nervous system that might be dysregulated. I've been, we've all moved through all of life, kids, all of it. Mm -hmm. So it's in acknowledgement of that. It's in like a deep bow and acknowledgement of all that we're holding. And also when I'm traveling to your country, I'm being invited to leave those things of mine at home. Not that I don't have them. 100%. So Is when I travel... Yeah. So when I travel to your country, when you invite me, because I can't invite myself over for dinner. So when you invite me into your country and I travel with just my passport, like there's almost like for me, I feel it in my body of like, it's almost like the defensiveness falls away because I'm not carrying all of my stuff with me, which is heavy and tiring and trying to like put it somewhere, like, right, when we're traveling or like pretending like I didn't bring it all. 
Like I'm simply have arrived in your country with my passport. So maybe like a fanny pack (laughs) and knowing that my belongings that for, for whatever they are, whatever the content of my own belongings have been near and dear to my heart. So we're oftentimes like arising, like from such a protective space of what we're holding, whether that's our thoughts, opinions, beliefs, like when we arise with defensiveness, it's usually with, from a protective space of like what I hold has is near and dear to me. It's kept me alive. I've survived the the world through this way of being, and I'm going to defend it. Mm-hmm. And so if I know that what I've held near and dear to me is in a safe space and being looked after, then I'm free to explore this incredible country that I don't know anything about. And like how glorious and like beautiful is that? Like that I get to go to like Scotland and as a guest, as a visitor, like truly as a visitor of, and and there's so much trust that happens inside of that, that anything I need will be provided to me while I'm on this journey. And so then I can take you in, like I can take in your culture, your home, the scenery, all the vistas, the sights, the smells, the taste. And it's like really, truly through the experience of what it is like to live there. And then from that space, I can be like, oh, my God, of course, when I stand on this front porch, when I stand on your front porch and I look out at this vista, this is what you've seen your whole life. Of course you see the world this way. Of course you see fill in the blank this way. Of course you've stood here your whole life and you've seen it like this. Like, yes. That makes so much sense. And so then I can validate and even deeply empathize with your life experience that's had nothing to do with me. Nothing. And it's beautiful. It's such a gift. Like it's such, it's such a gift. It is like one of, if not the most like, sacred honors of like, I believe like our human existence and our human like life is to take in like the experience of each other, like what you've moved through, what you've lived through, like how and why you see the world the way that you do. Like, so to get to take that in, then I'm left in wonder and in awe and in like, oh my God, like, this is incredible. And of course, like, yeah. So I don't have, like, I don't feel the need to like, well, that's not what my front porch view looks like. Well, of course it doesn't. You don't live here. You live over here. Yeah. It's really beautiful. It's almost like it, it, it's, it's kind of reminds me of steel manning in a sense of like how I can drop my perspective and, and argue for yours. And uh, even if it was sort of like in a debate context, so because it, it causes you to drop your frame. And, yeah, and, and so I, I, I think it's just beautiful and, and it's kind of wild the way it stretches us to be able to hold our own internal conflict around 
the, the subject matter, or at least the perception that that's where the conflict lives um, in a different way, simultaneously to say, I can hold space for this to arise within me while I hold space to hear what's arising within you with curiosity and with validation, even where I disagree. And I think where it gets challenging for people is when we are in a sense, rushing to solution and saying, okay, but if I agree, if I co-sign or green light on what you're saying, and I don't point out the objective misperception that is here, that where you're quote unquote getting it wrong, then the problem as I perceive it will continue. And we need to drive this towards solution. So it's not just a, hey, let's all just get along. And in, in so many ways, it's like, this can happen if we don't complete the process. Like it can happen in, in the people that are so often interested in healing work are avoiding these places of stickiness and contentiousness and in, 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 in the attempt to generate harmony and the mm -hmm. people that are working towards solutions are avoiding the skillful means of conversing about them and what the human level experience is like for the people that are perhaps on the other side of that experience and or and the many sides of that experience and yes. so sorry go ahead well i wanted to go back to this experience briefly with going back to the container that let's talk about a container that I was describing a little bit ago that what we break into dyads and somebody shares their experience that they're having, they're inviting you into their country with consent. And, and the first thing that we do is mirror back to them what we heard them say. And in that reflective listening process, it's wild. One of the feedbacks that I got from somebody was, I feel so seen and gotten. Thank you so much for, it was powerful to even hear my own thoughts expressed back to me. Um, not as you'll say, it's not just about getting it, but getting me, getting you. And the irony or the, the interesting piece inside of all of that with me and why I want to presence it is I deeply disagreed point for point with powerful emotion inside of me about everything that this person shared. And it was so beautiful to get to say that you, what I heard you say is you feel this. And that makes so much sense that from your life experience, you would see it that way. And through the lens through which you're perceiving the information that you're gathering and consuming and how your frame is being fortified a hundred percent. Yeah. And then to move it into the empathic listening that, that you just spoke to something, I think that was like a, a little bit of an inflection point that maybe some of the listeners might've missed. So I want to come back to the, the migration from the curiosity to the validation, even in the space of disagreement, to actually the capacity for empathy to emerge sitting on top of something or in, in some conversation, someone that you happen to have a deeply charged, perhaps triggered disagreement with, mm -hmm. and that yet there is still room 
to empathize, which to me, and, and maybe share if you hold it a little bit differently, for me, empathy doesn't just mean like how I would feel if it were me, because I they would then be bringing my own story, history, baggage, passport. Yeah. Yeah. It feels more like hearing everything you shared, knowing what I know about you, knowing to the degree that I may or may not know this tender spaces, imagining even what that could be like if I were to try to take in this situation through your lens, let me try to nestle up to what that must feel like, which drives it into a new context of heart. And, and that sort of, whether we want to call that the divine feminine, or I actually don't like putting those terms onto, I do believe they hold a value, but because they're so loaded, but just mm -hmm. the idea, especially with, you know, talk about the history of our world. So much of the conflict is perpetuated by, by the, by men and that having this conversation with a woman and hearing what's innate within a woman's perspective and to get curious about that and then realize, Oh, you're not, this is not a male female thing that every man that I know has a heart and has emotions and that most suicides are men and they're stifling their capacity to talk about these things in future episodes. I'm going to be talking with veterans with PTSD doing inner work and, um, and, and to get more into this. So the migration from validation to empathy and then if you could speak to that and then how it gives rise to ultimately the shift to, to changing seats of listener or sender and receiver. Yeah. So also I just want to presence there's a bee floating around in here. So I'm just <laughs> sort of clocking. <laughs> um, so I'd like to back up even just a little bit before before I answered this question is that to presence um, even with a powerful dialoguing framework, even when we have lots of hours of practice, it is not perfect and it gets messy. And it's not going to necessarily go like by the book or without needing to say like I, as a receiver, like if I start to feel my own stuff come up and I recognize that I have left your country or that I've, you know, done a U-turn to say like, I need to pause like I need, I am, I have left the seat of listener or receiver and I am no longer taking you in. And so I think that's really important that, that for people to, to have that permission of like, I don't, I'm not going to do this perfectly. This is going to get messy too. And that's okay. So the agency, not only to enter the conversation, but to exit it as well. For either one of you to say, I, I need to take, a, I need a breath. 
I need five breaths. I need to go stand outside. I need to go get a drink of water. I need to go put my head in the closet and scream. Like whatever that looks like, whatever. So allowing it to to be like non-linear, I guess, in that way of like, it's not going to, and this is to my second point also, and to your point of like the lingering and taking time, like taking so much time. Like, you know, when we practice this framework and these dialogues in a therapeutic setting, there's often, or in your, your offering, there is a time limit. There's a time frame for which like when we go into therapeutic or coaching sessions, we have an hour or when we go into heal the divide, we have 75 minutes. Like, I don't know that I've ever had a dialogue in real life that is complete in an hour. So like to give yourselves time and space to come in and come out when you need to. Like, I think that's really important. And like, for me, I say this a lot, like this is going too fast for me. I need this to slow way down. Like my processing I need to go at the speed of my processing, (laughs) which is generally, it's very slow and methodical. And like, it's how I'm receiving my person, but also like myself. So like in real time, is this actually helpful for me? Is this actually like what I'm needing? Is, am I, am I receiving the bomb that I need here? So the lingering, and this is why I love the analogy of traveling into another person's country as like a tourist, um, a visitor. It's like when we stand, I'm going to generalize. Some people don't travel like this and that's okay. But for the travelers out there that can go into a new country and stand in front of a mountain or a tree or a building or a statue or a picture or whatever and stand there for hours and like take it in and know that you could come back tomorrow and stand here for 10 more hours because you haven't seen it all. Like if we can enter into our conversations with each other, with that intention of like, I want to linger here. There is so much here I haven't seen. There is so much here that I don't know yet. There is so much I'm curious about. Like, I think that allows us to then move from the validation into the empathy, which is not in my standing in your country in my shoes. What would I do? Because again, this goes back to like, we're all different. We all have different nervous systems. We're all going to respond to this landscape in a different way. But what I know to be true about you, what I have heard you share with me about you and your heart and your mind and your thoughts and your feelings and your lived experiences and your hopes and your dreams and your tender spots. Like when I take all of that in and imagine standing in your country as you holding all of that, like, holy fucking shit. Of of course. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
how could it not have been that way for you? Like, yes. And so like, that is, I was going to say requirement. It's not a requirement. It is an invitation. It is like our most sacred invitation to come into our own hearts and like human to human, human to human to human to human of like, I might not know what it's like to have a war in my front yard. I've never moved through that. I have never, ever, ever worried about um, walking to, you know, the store or whatever and having <laughs> planes fly overhead. I do know what it's like to live in terror. Like I have moved through my own life experience where there has been terror. So can I connect to that? Can I connect to that sense of as a human being, what has it felt like to be so deathly afraid? And then it's like, oh, yes. So again, like the content can come out and the human experience of like what it's like to like move a, about the planet with our in, in experiences is where I can, can, for me personally, like how I connect and can like start to take in another human being. It's like and a practice of... Uh... I'm sorry, can you say that again? No, that's how I truly empathize. It shifts me from like, I get it, and mm -hmm. sympathy of like, I could imagine that that's terrible or whatever, to like, I get you. I, I feel like I'm getting you. I hope I'm getting you. Like, do you feel gotten? And that is like the bridge. It, it, it's it's wild because I think a lot of the resistance and avoidance to this work is our resistance and avoidance to feeling our own difficult emotions. So how can I truly open my heart to imagine what that must be like for a family in Gaza right now, you know, or, or anywhere in the side of this conflict, you know, families and Israel and, you know, who have family members that are, you know, hostage or, or not just in this conflict, but all around the world, there's oppression happening and genocide happening. And it's funny, just since October 7th, I, every time I enter into the imagining and, and the, the cultivation of empathy as a practice, I just can't get off the ground in my mind of like the family member that's trying to pull like, like a father pulling his child out of the rubble. And it's like the privilege of philosophical discourse to fit the privilege of perspective. It's like game over already. Now, what will we do? It's, it's happened and it's in the past tense and it's, it's so heartbreaking and so traumatic and, and the, the coalescing of power in, in the unconscious domains where people aren't connected to their heart, but yet have the capacity to make big enough decisions to disregard and harm other humans is profoundly terrifying. And so I, I want to bring the, these tools like Imago into these spaces because I do believe it offers healing. 
And then ultimately we, we, we want to get to, I think the question, which is now that I'm present, I'm curious, I am validating your experience. I am feeling into the humanity of what you are living through or have lived through or afraid of living through. How do we do it differently? Yeah. You know, like now how, how, how does this conversation framework support it changing, not just in the conversational dynamic and the internal dynamics, but how does the, situation and the circumstance and the external shift specifically as a result of speaking to it in this way. Yeah. Is that your question to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what have you learned from a maybe coupleship context about how change is impacted viscerally? that mm -hmm. could be applied into this other sort of geopolitical context. Yeah. No, just a no light coffee yes. convo. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, again, like I, I can only speak from my own experience and what mm -hmm. I have seen um, and not to, I'm not going to say this in like, in an insincere or trite way. Yeah, the healing, the healing that truly happens when a person feels heard and seen and received and gotten, like when that actually, like that medicine and salve and bomb like lands for a person and they get to receive that. And like, of course, like slowly over time. So this is not like a one and done, right? Like this is a slowly over time receiving the medicine that we've needed for however long, most of us, like our whole lives, these are not, um, tools that generations before us, like were employing. Um, so I, my sort of like hypothesis, I guess would be like, as we do like our, our own healing work, like that does like ripple out. And as I feel safe, in the container of either me to me or me to you, like as I learn that I am actually like safe to open up my own heart and take in your heart, it allows me to like, to share that. And so then I can go into other spaces and know that like, I can hear other people and what they're sharing and, Yeah. And sort of to go back to what I was saying in the, in the beginning, like there's so much repair, which I think is what I'm hearing you asking, like, what's the actual like reparation that happens. So mm -hmm. much of it is in the sharing. Like so often there is so much that we are not sharing that we're holding. And that keeps us really like 
stuck and hurting and dysregulated and turbulent. And it does not allow us like from that space, like we, from a neuro, like biological, like when we are disrupted and dysregulated, like we're not online and we can't hear anything from back here. Like when we go offline and like, we, we just can't. And so like, doing our own like self and co-regulation work, our healing work, our trauma work and having a practice that allows us to like be received and also like send that practice. I think it, I think it begins to grow. Absolutely. But I do think that it starts like here. Does that answer your question? I feel like I went a little bit. Yes. No, it does. And it, it brings me, yes. So just to reflect back is it, it, it brings up the sense of that the work that we're doing within ourselves to self-regulate and to, I think even beyond, I think self-regulation maybe like tills the soil for deeper self-integration yeah and and then as we bring more integrated selves to the fore which happens a lot through conversation and being heard because we're in a relational realm in this incarnate experience and so it's it's in communication it's communing right when when we're in conversation when we can feel listened to when we can feel sat with when we can feel deeply seen through the, the the heart of another being they those beings cease to feel like enemies and opportunities arise in spaces that were formerly ridden with conflict and and so i i do hear that the healing tools in one's own personal life are deeply applicable and impactful really in any context, which is sort of the big hypothesis of this pod and to be able to invite more and more people from different lenses to this conversation. And let's see, like, can we do it differently by learning to talk about it differently? That's the real invitation here. So that said, I want to drive it into another context and see where this one takes us. I have one more piece. Can I circle back to one thing? Absolutely. Okay. Around the Imago part. I heard you presence this a little bit, but I really wanted to maybe like double back for it. Cause I think it's an important, I think it's a really important part that can get sort of, um, maybe like oversimplified at first glance. So the part of Imago, the process where the mirroring, where the sender, the sharer is getting to do the the sharing piece and then the receiving when they're done mirrors back, reflects back what they heard. And that, that part of the process, I feel like is one of the most integral, like it is really such an important piece for a couple of reasons that that part that sending and receiving and reflecting back takes as long as is necessary for the sender 
to feel complete. So oftentimes as listeners, as the receiver, what I've seen and experienced and have done is like, I got, like, I get it. Like, let's, I got it. I got it. I heard it. Let's go. And it's like, that piece of the process, such a small portion of that, the reflecting back is for the receiver. A very small percentage is for the receiver to know that they got it. The larger piece about that is, and this is what you presence and I love so much, is is for the sender to hear themselves back. Mm -hmm. It's oftentimes where so much clarity comes, especially if I am sharing from an upset or dysregulated space. And oftentimes part of my process is I have to get it out of me to hear it or see it and have it make sense. It's like dumping out the puzzle pieces and spreading them all out in front of me. And so when the, the person I'm sharing to and with, when they reflect what they heard me say, and I get to hear myself, I can be like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not actually, that's not what I meant at all. Like, no. Or like, is that, oh, like it gives me my mirror to see me more clearly. And so like I get to become more and more and more clear within myself of like what's really happening, what's what I'm really saying out loud, how I'm sharing it, what do I need to say, where I feel incomplete. And like that's a really important piece is like it allows the sender to get clear within themselves before moving on in this sense of like completion, like is there more? Do you feel complete? And especially for people that have not had that autonomy or agency to either speak up or feel heard to get to say like, no, there's more, I have more or no, I'm, I feel really complete now. Thank you. Like, I just think that's such an important part. And like that also gets to ripple out this, the sense of like sharing for clarity in this sharing for like, getting to witness another person as opposed to I'm only listening to debate you. I'm only listening to tell you where you're wrong and I'm right or where I agree or disagree. Like, I think that that shifts, shifts it also. Is there more? (laughs) 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 You feel complete. (laughs) Just being a little cheeky. Um, Yes. Thank you for, circling back and giving that the justice that it deserves. It it brings up for me how there are those of us that are internal processors and external processors. And I think of it as some of us need to say it in order to see it. Mm-hmm. which is I, I, how you spoke to your experience. And then some of us more like myself is I, I actually need to see it in order to feel safe saying it. Yeah. I'm an internal processor. I'll speak it once it feels clarified internally. I, I work it out inside. Whereas mm-hmm. 
you might work it out outside. I think knowing this about one another is deeply powerful and it's where grace and even I would say a more elevated expression of chivalry maybe rather than like, I'm going to hold the door for you, which might be nice. But the idea of, I know that it supports your process to say it. And and so maybe if we're both going to go in Imago, chivalry might be like you go first so that the, it, we can work from a clarified space by you getting it out. And, and, and so there's, I think there's a dance that we're always doing in those spaces and yeah, making space to learn the lens of one another is so powerful and to the degree that that is available to us. So yeah, let, let's take that in a, a, this maybe in brief, um, I have a few other questions on this list and uh, let's see, maybe we could do like a, a rapid fire round um, sitting on the basis of all that has been shared and all I've heard you say, what is feminism? Mm, this is a good one. Okay. Feminism for me, my, the way that I understand it at this point in my life, how I hold it is this sense of um, equality, actually. Do you believe that equality is established through equity or through meritocracy? Through do you do you follow? Um, mm -hmm. I do. Yeah, like how do we get there? Uh, let's assume we're operating from the basis of we share the the notion that we want equality you know so like in what ways does that not exist in what ways do we get to the change that is being asked for mhm mm that's a good question and i don't feel like i can do it with brevity or brief um, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, the answer to that of like the how, um, what I do see sort of beginning to happen, maybe a little bit. And what I do think is necessary, and, and um, I know we've chatted more about this more in depth, but this over the overswing of the the pendulation of like patriarchy and like the the inequality, and not just between like um, gender, but like mm -hmm. any and sort of all of the things like where we tend to have had, um, ruptures. Mm -hmm. Right. It, yeah. Cause my next question is we can kind of put the, the isms together maybe, um, mm -hmm. was what is wokeism? And, yeah, I like how 
Vivek Ramaswamy talks about having honored the reality of the tyranny of the majority mm-hmm. in large part of our, our history, not just within this nation, the United States, but like but civilization. human civilization as a whole. And, and, and the way human consciousness evolves is to go from association with one particular frame of being and then it's it, in order to know where middle is, it's got to push out to that wide boundary before it can come back to center. So the tyranny of the majorities is, it feels like it's swinging into, to borrow his verbiage, you know, honor where it heard it from is a tyranny of the minority. Yeah. And, and the, and the common denominator there is tyranny. And so is there another course correct that, you know, instead of we're going so far, we're going to fall off the screen, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're over and we <laughs> want to come back to center. How do we remove tyranny? And 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 I think my, my hypothesis is that utilizing the tools that we've been speaking of on this podcast today actually gives us the ability to say, okay, we're, we're hitting up against an edge. Now it's different in different people at different times and it's in real time. So we're all sort of living through this and figuring it out. But migrating to center where center isn't spiritual bypass or um, it's integration. It's integration. And I was listening to a conversation between Lex Friedman and uh, David Pakman. I listened to it yesterday, but it's about seven months old. And um, David was talking about in a political spectrum, um, his, his, what he despises most is enlightened centrism Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, the need to sort of take sides. So I'm watching a a polarity, a spectrum swing and wanting to work towards integration, but integration that isn't bypass. So in other words, like it just kind of gets into like the intersection between philosophy and psychology and spirituality and healing and, and activism even. And, to not confuse, and I think this is what he was doing, is confusing bypass, essentially, like we're, here's the enlightened, I'm above the fray perspective with an, a unity, a pervasive unity that honors the diversity that's implicit amongst us. And that that's easy to get caught in and we should watch out for it because it does a disservice, right? It does a disservice for me to see, say, I don't see your gender because I'm denying your lived experience. A disservice for me to say, I don't see your skin color because I'm denying your lived experience. I don't see your ethnicity because I'm denying your lived experience. And I want to strip away every single label that you could ever put on you. Um, I heard Ben Shapiro talking about this idea of living within like what he calls or is working on this system called role theory, where our deepest meaning comes through our roles. And I think that's at some level, it's beautiful because it's where we express this instrument into, into connection. But when that role is devoid of the deeper universal non-dual root uh, of us all, then we actually see roles as tribalism and ideological divides and it creates ethnocentrism and separateness and that's what fuels the conflict so the the migration might look like going from i see myself as woman i see myself as white i see myself as 
brown or black or man or whatever the identity that we're cloaked in there to I see myself in you and I see you in me. And I see that through the lens of the me that I've been in this life. And I honor that distinction in you. And I'm curious about it. Tell me about it. Yeah. I think that's how, I think that's how that happens is, is literally everything that we've been talking about. So I know from my own experience coming from spaces where I have not felt seen or heard or safe and have felt harmed in those spaces when I have made my way through like my own unfreezing, my own work of finding my voice, using my voice, finding all of the things that needed to come out that couldn't or have wanted to, or all of the things like it's come out much more forcefully. So like my bigness and my loudness and my roar needed to match my silence. Hmm. It needed to. Like I needed to match that. Like I needed to match it. And so my integration has come from the work that I do within me that says like, I hear you. Of course you're angry. Of course you are rageful. Of course you need to scream and yell and have a tantrum and like burn it all down. Like with the fire of the dragon that you are like, of course. Yes, yes, yes. So the recognition. The validation. And, and also saying, and. Like we need to, we need to learn to do that in a way that's not the same as over here Mm -hmm. because that's the same, right? So like, if I'm doing it in the same way, I'm doing it in the same way and it leaves us in the same consciousness. It's the same energy and we cannot heal ourselves in a new way from the same energy. So it takes me saying all of that makes sense. And yes, you need to, you need to scream, you need to dance, you need to play, you need to laugh, you need to cry, whatever's been frozen is thawing and coming out. It's really beautiful. And we need to learn to do that in a way that does not cause ourselves or others harm. Right, where the reparation isn't actually generating more rupture. So I think in a larger, more global, I think that needs, I think that needs to happen. I think it is going to take again, this concept and I'm saying mom and dad. um, Archetypally maybe. Yeah. Archetypally of, of the, the people that maybe we've all needed and wanted and have been looking for, but like caretakers, the caretakers to come in and say like, yes, you are angry. Yes, you have been treated unfairly. Yes, there has not been equality. Yes, you have been repressed. And like, yes, to your lived experience. Yes, 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 yes. That is all true. And if we keep going, we're going to be in the same space. Hmm. And so like, yes. And how do we 
learn to do that in a new way that honors you, that validates your experience, that is not saying like, I agree or disagree or you're right or I'm wrong. None of that. But how do we learn to do this in a new way? And I think that is part of it, maybe. I don't know. But like when I think about it, like when I feel that in my body, it's like the way in which we have moved through the world is not working. So like, can there be a new way? Can we learn a new way where we hold each other with like, like our divinity and regard and respect and yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for clarifying that with such skill and grace. It's, it's really powerful to take in that even when we see the expression that feels extreme or polarized, that if we can call on the space within us that, that has the capacity to actually recognize what that is and say, hey, you know, we don't want to centralize power at the polls, but we can say to some, we can see someone's experience and recognize it as that necessary thawing out and validate and empathize with what that must feel like to the best of our ability to at very least get curious and lean in and, and listen and be in a space of empathic attunement to the experience that one is having, then maybe just maybe we do start to thaw and bonds start to form and we foment connection instead of conflict or connection through those conflicts to bring it full circle. There's so much more um, I want to get to, but um, we're at time. Uh, so we've hit that framework, um, but I know we're going to come back and keep it going again and again. I hope that this has been an enjoyable experience for you and that you'll want to come back on the podcast. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. I wanted this to be the first episode so that it's easy to point people back to an origin point of how we can talk about these challenging topics in maybe some new ways. Um, For those of you listening, I hope that um, maybe you picked up some new tools, some insights, maybe just picked up a little bit of remembrance of what you already know. Um, I think a lot of it actually is that as we're, we're coming back to what we know in a, in a deeper dimension of ourselves. And we can maybe feel that resonance in not just the ideas spoken, but in the tones and textures of the subliminal ways in which we receive one another and experiences as humans. Uh, And there, is there something that you would like to say in closing? Arian? Yeah, I think this answers your first question too. Like as we lean into conflict and to come into connection, I think ultimately like what we are all looking for on the planet is like our sense of belonging, like our belonging to ourselves, our sense of belonging to each other. And I think that happens through like navigating conflict in a like 
balmy healing way that like your conflict is welcome here too. Like all of the parts of you are welcome here, including where and when you disagree with me. And just because you disagree with me doesn't mean that you belong any less to me or belong less here. And I think that's really important and really beautiful for us to remember is like, it's the no matter what, like, no matter what, there's nothing you can say or do that I won't love you or that you don't belong to me or your children don't belong to me. Like, I think that is, I think that's what we are all looking for as humans is like our, our sense of connection and belonging. So thank you for having me. Truly an honor. I'm so grateful. Um, I'm grateful for everybody that is here and listening and joining this conversation as well. And um, if you enjoyed the conversation, um, please help support the podcast by liking, subscribing, tapping the notifications bell. Um, let's keep the conversation going. Let's continue to invite more people with diverse backgrounds, lived experiences, different perspectives, spanning all realms of agreement and disagreement, uh, maybe even bringing people together for larger roundtable discussions yeah. to, to have conversations in these frameworks and see where that takes us. My sense is it has the potential to take us into a place of healing. And if in any way this podcast can be of service to that, be contributive to the shared human journey that we're on on this planet, um, that will be an incredible, incredible and meaningful um, endeavor. So yeah. thank you to everyone. Have a beautiful day. Arian, thank you so much. And thank we'll see you. you next time. Bye. Bye.